0: Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. This week, well, I mean, we're talking about basically one thing, and that is the U.S. men's national team as they go through yet another window, three games in basically a week. So we will focus a whole lot on that. We'll, we'll take a little trip around what's going on uh, elsewhere around the world when it comes to soccer. Uh, but first, joining me, not as always, uh, as a special guest, because you should know right off the bat, if you're going to click off, fine, go ahead. But David Massey is not involved in this week's uh State of the Union. He is flying back, as we said last week. Uh, he joined us, visiting us from uh, New York, uh, visiting his family. So we have gone out and we have recruited, I think, a a, a uh, an able replacement in the form of my friend and my colleague, not necessarily my guiding light like David Mossy, but who is, and certainly plenty of soccer knowledge when it comes to the great. Stu Holden, who is joining us today. Uh,
1: Alexi. first of all, thanks for having me. Secondly, I I will not be able to give you the depth on Brazilian and South American (laughs) soccer and and global soccer, for that matter. Uh, David Massey, I won't be able to correct all your mistakes, but what I can do is uh, sit here and we can yell and we can commiserate and we can talk about the U.S. men's national team the last couple of days, because, boy, it was stressful.
0: Yes, nobody is asking you to be David Massey. Okay, good, because I I can't do
1: it. I I feel uncomfortable in this seat. There is thankfully
0: only one uh, of David Mossy, they, they, <laughs> as I, I'm sure, even whether you know him personally or not, you can attest to. Uh, they broke the mold when they made that uh, th- that gentleman. Uh, and I'll be back uh, next week. So I appreciate you, Stu. Uh, I, I know you were on. Uh you know, babysitting duty and all that kind of stuff. No, I, you, I was you, happy to get out from, sc- from babysitting
1: duty. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for the call. Yeah. How
0: long? You, I think you asked me, how long we we recording? Yeah. Yeah, whatever. Five hours? Like, what are we going to you know, do after I can this? Go as long as you possibly want. Um, all right. Well, uh, this is this has been a, a hell of a week when it comes to the U.S. men's national team. And what what I thought we'd do is just kind of jump right into it and what's going on. Uh, you know, as you know, each and every week we start the, the uh the pod off with uh, my my state of the union, and, and this is we're gonna we're gonna dispense with all of the formalities here, and I'm just gonna read it to you because I I was thinking about this driving in, and I just uh, I. On audio, so I wasn't uh, endangering anything. But I just, my thoughts just kind of poured out here because of what has happened, especially over the last 24 hours. And we yeah. are taping this, um, we we're recording this on Monday, October 11th. It's fresh. It's very fresh. fresh. Uh, obviously, the game uh, from a U.S. men's national team perspective against Panama happened you know, uh, yesterday on Sunday, but we'll, and we're going to talk about that. And so, as you know, each and every week, we kick the pot off with... Alexi Lawless's State of the Union. Yes, it's my State of the Union. And this week, it goes a little something like this. So the U.S. men's national team went down to Panama and lost a World Cup qualifier one nothing. The sky may not be falling, but make no mistake, it was a bad performance, a bad result, and a bad look. First, let's get something out of the way. The game in Panama was not in a hostile environment, and it was not against a superior opponent. U.S. coach Greg Berhalter got it wrong with his lineup, which featured seven changes from the 2-0 win versus Jamaica Thursday in Austin. He admitted as much and took responsibility, although he did couch it as a necessary rotation with an eye to Wednesday's game versus Costa Rica in Columbus. I guess you lose the battle, you win the war. Many aren't buying that. Many, including yours truly, feel that you play your best players every game, and then you play them again. But nowadays, we're told that players play too many games. They're physically and mentally taxed and stressed. The science and monitoring of players' workload and the tracking of every inch of grass covered, every mile traveled, and every bead of sweat exerted is part of the modern game. But now, all you analytics data and sports science wonks, you're angry about Greg Berhalter using rotation? Get out of here, you can't have it both ways. Berhalter used the science and the data to hedge his bets and to rotate players in an effort to give the team the best chance of success in the three games in seven days World Cup qualifying window. It didn't work in Panama. Or did it? Against Costa Rica, Greg Berhalter is coaching for his job, rightly and fairly so. A loss to Costa Rica in Columbus would be catastrophic, but a win and happy days are here again.
1: Wow, I mean, that was pretty good for just off the top of your head there, Well, I was driving Wallace. and, and that listen, head is I'm in jumbled. a lot of traffic, as you know, and you
0: think about all sorts of things and it, and it comes off of something and... You know, rather than you know, kind of go right back to the first game, I do want to talk about the first game and reference yeah. the first game because I do think it informs the way we're talking about the second game. Mm-hmm. But the second game now is fresh in our minds, and I'm already getting texts from people that don't necessarily follow soccer and they have seen this result. And you know, when it comes to the men's team, we are still gun shy and and still very sensitive, uh, given the fact that we didn't qualify. And I'm having to explain that you know there is a bigger picture here. The U.S. for people that maybe haven't seen it. Um, of the eight teams the octagonal is still sitting in second place if the octagonal were to finish today the US would be going to Qatar so the sky as I said certainly isn't falling but this was a wake up call and I think that this is probably the, the, the lowest moment when it comes to yeah. how we look at Greg Berhalter and as we all know Twitter, while is at times incredibly fun and interesting and even at times informative, is also a cesspool uh, and is also not necessarily the best focus group out there. And at times, I would argue, isn't even a focus group out there. Having said that, you can imagine soccer Twitter uh, exploded and those that do not like Greg Berhalter were given a golden gift in the palm of their hand to point oh, yeah. to right now. All right, with all of that said, uh, Stu, I guess let's let's start off with the loss and then we'll, we'll kind of circle back around and also talk about what happened earlier in the
1: week. Yeah, well, first of all, one of the words you said there, wake-up call, right? I thought the wake-up call came in the first set of matches. I I, I was sitting there at halftime of the Honduras match, and in a weird way, this morning, I don't feel as bad as I felt at halftime of that first game, because I was thinking, the sky is falling. Mm -hmm. You know, we've drawn two games, we're losing on the road to Honduras. If we lose this game... I didn't have any good feeling that the U.S. could get it done. Now, I come off the back of the Jamaica game and I was thinking that was the best game we've played in uh, the octagonal. That was the best I have seen the U.S. with the verticality, all the buzzwords, right? The the best movement off the ball, the the most, um, we've seen them be the protagonist, uh, the most dangerous attacking play. Pepe scoring two goals. And it's crazy to think how quickly that changes off the back of then the loss to Panama but because of the way the U.S. didn't have a single shot on target right. in, in that game. And we talk so much, Alexi, about how inexperienced these players are in World Cup qualifying and the amount of debuts and guys getting their first experience of this at this level. This is Greg Berhalter's first time doing this. And this is Greg Berhalter learning, I think, some really harsh lessons. And I'm actually disappointed in the way that he approached this game in Panama off the back of what I think he learned and what I'd hoped he learned after those first three games, the game in El Salvador, the game on the road in uh, Honduras, because I thought he picked his best lineup in the game against Jamaica. I thought he picked his worst lineup. Uh, Honduras' first half, you could argue, as well also. But it always seems to be a thing with road games. And I watched the behind-the-scenes thing U.S. soccer do, and they talked so much about intensity. They talked so much about matching that on the field and not thinking that, okay, we've got this win against Jamaica that we can just walk into Panama. That's what it felt like. And also Greg Berhalter's lineup selections showed that as well in making seven changes and playing guys that just clearly the right mix wasn't there. There was no continuity. There was no fluidity. There was nothing that then you could expect the team to do the plan that Greg had hoped to execute. And it was just flat from the first minute and beyond disappointing off the back of Okay, that. so
0: who would you have started then? Um, and and look, I, we'll have the uh, the rotation discussion yeah. in a second here. But you, like you said, seven changes, including three changes in the back. Uh, Walker Zimmerman was the only uh, holdover from a uh, field perspective. Uh, obviously, Matt Turner continued on in goal, and I don't think anybody's going to argue that. Walker Zimmerman, who I thought was, uh, for me, he was the player of the game in the first game against Jamaica. He was so I'll keep in mind, this is a guy that wasn't yeah. even called into camp and was called in last minute. So not only does he play and play well in the first game against Jamaica, but he continues on and starts in this game and is the captain of the team uh, in this game. And I don't think anybody has a, has a problem with the way Walker Zimmerman played uh, uh, last night. But that back four, three out of the four changes uh, yeah. occurred there. Sebastian Legette uh, uh, came in. Yunus Moussa continue, uh, continued on. I think a lot of the talk is uh, about up top with Jossie Zardes starting. So who would you have played or mm-hmm. continued on with when it comes to the uh, first game uh, against Jamaica relative to the uh, Sunday's game? Yeah. Against, so um,
1: I'm I'm glutton for punishment. Okay. I, I watched the game back again last night. Ooh, okay. I know. I don't know why, but sometimes I, I'm, I, you know, I'm emotional. The first yeah, yeah. time I watch it, you and I are texting back and forth. So I watched it again. And the, the thing that stood out to me most, and and this is why, I I'm just here scratching my head about, and this is on Greg Berhalter for me, the, this the seven changes because of this, there was no continuity in any type, any part of the field, right? So the changes up front, you you have two new wingers, uh, well Ariola started, but you have. Zardes starting up front. And Tim Weah. And, and Tim Weah, wea, who, who had started. In the midfield, you had one holdover, Yunus Musa, In the back, you had one holdover. That was Walker Zimmerman. So how do you expect in the rotations? I don't have a problem with rotations and looking at, at this as a three-game window. But... A new back four, so a right back and a center back that haven't played together, a left center back and a left back that haven't played together, a midfield that hasn't played together and wasn't dis- and was completely disconnected between Kellen Acosta and Leggett and and Musa, and then up front as well. So you're asking these teams, and granted, all of these guys have been in camp mm-hmm. with Greg and they understand the system, right? Which changes at times, but they understand their roles and responsibilities. To but to me, that was lacking. Just. When you're in in these types of partnerships that I'm talking about, you know, if I'm stepping out here, this guy's going to slide. He knows my tendencies. He knows Eunice Musa likes to come back, get on the ball. Kellen Acosta is going to then move into this position. It just felt incredibly disconnected. Mm -hmm. That doesn't give the team confidence. That didn't give them. And actually, there were some good moments for the team. So I'm with Greg in the fact that they got into good spots, but the service wasn't there. The delivery wasn't there. You weren't giving your striker a chance. The passing wasn't good. None of that was good. But all to right. me, that hold all comes on, from to a hold foundation. Hold
0: on. To, to, to quote the great uh, John McEnroe, answer my question. Who would you have started?
1: Okay. Who would I have started? I would have started DeAndre Yedlin uh, at right back. Okay. So I, I know that's not a holdover. So that's I not Sergino Des. So that's Sergino Des Because depth, depth, was carrying a knock. Okay. Right? So uh, I would have played the same center back pairing once again. Uh, I, I would have been okay with... Uh, George Bellow starting at left I would have kept in the midfield Tyler Adams I would have played him again he played all three games in the last window okay so if you need to take him out of the 60th minute and you feel okay about the game fine start Adams Musa. And then I was okay with Legette because I think Legette is a connector. He didn't have a good game. Uh, Sebastian. Well, Kellen Legette. Acosta didn't either. Kellen he, Acosta he did shot. not have a good yeah. game. Eunice Musa didn't have a game, good yep. game. I, I think we could go down the list. The midfield list. was bad. Yeah. And then, you know, as far as the winger positions, I, I think that's one I, I was okay with Giassi's artists, although. I would have also been fine throwing out the 18-year-old Ricardo Pepe and saying, hey, you're, we're riding the hot hand here. Let, let's let the train keep on rolling. Let's see if this guy can find a goal. And if not, we bring off Jossie Zardes off the bench. And then you're going to start him in the game in his home stadium in Columbus in the third game. I would have been completely okay with all of those uh, decisions. Would had you have been okay with, uh, I don't know, Matthew Hoppe? Uh, 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 what rail Mallorca zone? Matthew Hoppe get him yes. in there man in a matter of uh, uh, I actually of, thought we would have seen Hoppe in right. the in the wide full disclosure
0: uh Stu Holden uh as, as many so people who would you, know who would you have started? Is, oh, hold on hold up full disclosure uh is a uh, part owner of Mallorca uh yeah. now uh home to our uh, our friend See, do, uh, I, do I have to disclose uh, that, that every time I just want on, everybody to now? know no, I'm just curious listen, there are people tuning in here <laughs> just to hate listen and to hate watch right now because of uh the, the way you know the the two shills going at it right here uh right here and um, okay so wait, uh, you wait, let me ask you this yeah.
1: so had they made a different lineup, right? Had we not made seven changes, maybe we'd made four or five changes. Mm-hmm. Do you think the U.S. would have gotten a result? I I I look at it as I'm I'm not sure that I think the soccer
0: gods looked at it and said this is this was going to happen. I mean, this hinged on what a set a set piece, a set piece. And, yeah. and multiple set pieces because we saw that they were throwing those balls in. Matt Turner had had, had a number of uh, saves and and uh, you know punched a, a couple uh, out. So that was something that they wanted to do. But we should be able to handle a set piece yeah. type of situation with the amount uh, of, of players that we have. When it comes to to Jossie Zardes and uh, Ricardo Pepe, um, you know, the Pepe train has left the station. It is screaming down the tracks right now. Uh, and there's a lot of people. And certainly this is a, some of the people that I talked to that, like I said, aren't necessarily into the game, but yeah. they knew that there was this 18 year old phenom that was scoring goals, especially in a position that has been, has remained so glaringly vacant for so long. Do, do you ride that hot hand in there? I, I, I to your question, yeah. uh, I'm going to answer my own question. Is I'm not as sure that Ricardo Pepe up there changes the no. dynamic of this uh, of this game. He he just as easily could have had not a shocker, but ha, not had no shots. And we actually we've seen where the first he goes half missing. against Honduras he goes right? missing, yeah. long, But he does he is in this moment, and so there is this tendency. It, it, it's To the winner go the spoils and not just the winner of the game, but sometimes not being involved in something is as valuable as being involved in something. And in this case, if you were not on the field and you are not associated and tainted with this you know, this, this problem of a game right now, you end up, uh, you end up looking good, but that doesn't mean by any stretch of the imagination, if that you, if you were on the field, that it wouldn't also have been a crazy uh, type of shit show.
1: Yeah. And that's where I think about Pepe, right? I, I do think in some ways, Greg Burhalter to his own detriment, clearly now that we're sitting here off the back of that one year loss mm-hmm. was perhaps protecting at Ricardo Pepe a little bit. You think about the the amount of games he's played over the past two, three months, how quickly it's all come for an 18-year-old. But to that, I say, why, right? Ride the hot hand for, for the young man. Let him let him keep going. Let him run till his legs fall off in that sense because he will. And he's capable of it right now. And we all know in this game, and you say it all the time, the most valuable thing is being able to put the ball in the back sure. of the net. When you're a striker and you are feeling confident and Anything that you touch, you just have that feeling. This ball is going in the back and that. I'm going to score today. He might have been able to create a half chance. He might have been able to create something that would have scored you a goal. So I'm not saying that Pepe necessarily changes what happened yesterday alone, but I, I certainly think I would have been more comfortable rolling with Ricardo Pepe in the form that he's in and the confidence that perhaps then exudes throughout his teammates to get a result there.
0: What, what I don't buy is that you are... <laughs> That you're, because he's young, because he's inexperienced, that you are protecting him. Listen, this is not your father's U.S. men's national team player. And when I say your father, I mean me. (laughs) (laughs) This is not my generation, or let's be honest, even your generation of U.S. men's national team. This is a team, uh, this is a generation, and we say this all the time. This is a good thing what I'm about to say, but this is a generation that that has been given everything, every advantage, uh, every type of uh, coaching advantage, infrastructure advantage, pathway advantage, money advantage, uh, all of these different things. And so from a young age, their experience has been very, very different than mine and and uh, and even yours coming along later. And so that's a good thing. And yet we are coddling them as if they were that previous generation. So with all of these advantages, I think rightfully comes added expectations and higher expectations to be able to function in the, when, when the game is played. And I'm not saying you don't go through moments as a young inexperienced players and you don't develop and you don't evolve and, and, and these, you know, an experience about going down to Panama uh, isn't, you know, that you're automatically going to step on the field uh, and be great. But at some point we have to let go of this mentality that yeah. a young player can't be put in high pressure situations, especially because of the generation that we have that have been specifically... I'll even use the word manufactured. I guess a nicer word would be fostered and mm. uh, and grown, if you will, to to sustain and to be successful in a completely different way than any of us that came before.
1: Yeah. I would say this is a compliment to these young players and that I forget sometimes yeah. how young they are, right? Like I forget that Yunus Moussa is 18, that Ricardo Pepe is 18. If, if we weren't told it every five minutes about how young these players were, because of what you say there, Alexi, that they just have this incredible ability, I, I would say the top players at, at that level. The, these guys that I, I watched Ricardo Pepe uh, at, at the All-Star game and his confidence to just go in, smash in a PK, then to go that next week and get called up to the US men's national team and to score against Honduras and just to take it all in stride like, hey, this is what it, what's expected of me. 18 years old, sure, I should be in high school right now. I should be in freshman in college, but who cares? I'm playing at the top level, and I'm going to make a transfer over to Europe. And these guys do have an incredible ability, the best ones, that it, it just feels like another game, another game of soccer. They don't feel that type of pressure in the way that they should, maybe because they're so naive to it, and that it hasn't been built up to them. And they're like, whatever. And that's why I would have had full confidence throwing Ricardo Pepe in against Panama. Why? Because it's no different to Honduras. That wasn't a hostile environment, like you said. That crowd looked almost nice. They're far away from the, the, the stands. The grass looked nice. You know, there was no complaints from that set. I mean, Greg Burrell said, well, we traveled four and a half hours. These guys travel four and a half hours for MLS. They play three games in a week. This is the national team. This is World Cup qualifying. Why wouldn't you play? I know he didn't put a team out that he didn't think could win that game, right? But I think he recognized there was a risk to playing that lineup and that risk is backfired. Not for, many times for Greg Berhalter. Think about the Gold Cup, the amount of rotations and different lineups he played and the lineup he rolled out in the Gold Cup final, playing George Bellow for his first game and, you know, um, who else played in midfield? I, I'm forgetting now, but y- young players that, that got their chances and did incredibly well with those and... Buccio at times. Buccio, there you yep. go. And he yep. started in the final. And so, look, Greg got it wrong and, and, and he should not be let off the hook for that, but does a win now in Columbus change that for you, six points out of this window.
0: Well, I mean, there are there will be people that will accuse me and maybe you and, and, and others of being Greg Berhalter apologists. And I, as I've said, and we've said it here on the State of the Union, I got a lot of time for Greg Berhalter. Having said that, how do you solve a problem like Greg Berhalter? Uh, because there there are many out there, and you know, I, as I said in, in uh, earlier in the show, uh, this is a huge game now uh, mm. against Costa Rica. Do, gen- do
1: you genuinely feel his 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 job is on the line if he loses that game?
0: No, I think they're going to ride or die with him, uh, and when I say they, I mean Ernie Stewart and Brian McBride. Not at the expense of not qualifying, but if you were to lose against Costa Rica, it, as I said, it would be a Catastrophic,
1: because many would be calling for his absolutely, head. and and I, and I think it would be, be I think it would opinion. be fair
0: if if you honestly felt that once again qualifying for the World Cup was in jeopardy and in peril. I think you have an obligation, whether you are Brian McBride or Ernie Stewart, and those are the leaders for for those that don't know at the United States Soccer Federation. That ultimately would be involved in this decision to do whatever is necessary to give us the best possible chance of being successful. Uh, you know, you know the, um, you know the when it comes to Greg Berhalter, his association and. Um, connection with major league soccer at times is this albatross around his neck for a lot (laughs) of people out there that feel he has been given, you know, the keys to a Ferrari and he just got his, you know, his, his license. And how much of that is, is fair and warranted. Uh, If, you know, if, if Greg Berhalter was, you know, Portuguese or something else, would it be, would it be as, it's not bad because it's part of the, it's part of the deal. But it would would it be as as loud as it is no. right now?
1: No, I don't think so. Okay. I, I think Greg Berhalter, uh, as you say, there there are people. No matter what Greg Berhalter does, yep. they will never be happy with mm-hmm. with what he does. He he will never be the right guy for them. Even though, I mean, this is a guy who's coming off of a flawless summer, mm-hmm. right? The, between the Gold Cup and the Nations League, and. Every move, every tinkering, every roster, every guy that he brought in, performed. And it Janet was wonderful. Janet Jackson, come yeah, on, baby. Janet Jackson. What and that's what I'm saying, is that we. this is what it's all about, yep. though, right? Like Nobody's going to think back in six months and say, well, do you remember when Greg won the Nations League and uh, Gold Cup? No. I mean, it, it's about getting to a World Cup. And I wouldn't say off the back of that Panama result that I, I'm worried that Greg's not the guy for this team right now. I, I do have confidence that Greg Berhalter will get this team to a World Cup. Now, he's put more pressure on himself and he continues to put more pressure on himself by some of the decisions that he makes. And uh and, and then at the same time, you know, he makes the changes in halftime against Honduras, and we're like, wow, Greg's made these great changes, but it needs to be right from the start. And and Greg Berhalter has had a, an inability to make the right decisions. At the beginning of matches, which worries me that that's a worrying trend for me of, of all of them, because for some reason, Jamaica match aside, I don't think he's picked the right starting lineup for those games to win those games. Uh, uh.
0: And it was interesting to hear him after the Jamaica game, the two nothing win, uh, like I said, in in Austin on Thursday to hear him and his team to a certain extent talk about how they wear down the opponent's. Which is fine, and that is certainly a tactic that many teams over the years have employed, recognizing, look, a goal counts just as much if you score it in the first half or the second half, um, but going out there and doing the things to physically and emotionally wear down your opponent and then capitalizing on that late in the game is nothing new. We've seen it with some great uh, teams out there. But to hear him talk about that as almost a a a strategy and an attribute for that team, that's all fine and well mm-hmm. until you go to that... That well and it's empty, yeah. uh, and which is what we which what we was. saw, which is yeah. what we saw, and you know, being a second half team. Is great, and as I said on on Twitter, this was a this was a third half team. It wasn't there when they needed it. The substitutions that made uh, that they were were made. Well, because didn't, Greg would have, have make said a to your point,
1: halftime you're zero zero, right? Exactly. Then you're, here comes Tyler. Here comes Aaron. I was
0: actually okay with the halftime. Yeah. I, you know, I mean, it, was it great? No. And certainly relative to the game a few days before in uh, against Jamaica, it, it, it wasn't good. Even though, by the way, they didn't score against Jamaica in that first half either. But they controlled the game. There was never any sense that this was a problem. And even in the first uh, the first half yesterday, I didn't sense that there was a problem against Panama. You're playing on the road. You're playing against a a, a team that can kick the ball um, and was relying on set pieces. And I thought we were going to deal with that. But what I also was kind of interested to see and counting on, as I think Craig Berlter and this team was, was that second half bump. And it it, it never came. It never came when the when the, st- the the first whistle of second half started, and it didn't come when those substitutions came uh, came in. And so now you're faced with a situation where Greg Berhalter, on numerous occasions, has had a team where it hasn't gone well in the first half, and at times it's gone well in the second half, but. Why are you putting yourself in that position? So now in, against Costa Rica, and I would I would bet money that this is the attitude that this team is, is going to take out against Costa Rica. They're going to say we're going to jump all over them, and we're going to jump all over them from the start. And Costa Rica is going to pull back and they're absorb pressure pressure, but they're going to go all guns blazing to try to get a goal in that first half and kind of put that second half team uh, mentality away and say we we can't afford to leave it uh, leave it. Late.
1: And I agree with you. The thing I would say too, Greg Berhalter, what perhaps the danger in, in, in messaging even as a second half team is that your team is so reliant on that that when you make those changes and the second half comes and you don't have the solutions as you talked about, then it's what now what it's a now? feeling of what now because you're expecting those guys well these guys are, it's fine zero zero at halftime this is a tough game even we're losing now it's fine because he calls uh the substitutions he's been talking so much about it. he calls his subs solutions well when your solutions come on and your solutions don't fix the problem there's a bigger problem and 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 that's why i think then that starts to permeate throughout the team as a mentality of well, we're gonna be fine for the second half. This first half's gonna be a grind. Let's be patient. Let's not take too many risks. Because in the second half, this team's gonna roll over. This is World Cup qualifying, it is more difficult. And I know this is CONCACAF, the first half. Teams are very uh they're safer, yeah. they are gonna they're gonna have that energy, physical capacity to go with you. But when you come up against Mexico, even Costa Rica, I know Costa Rica's an older team, but they still have an incredible amount of speed and transition moments. So as you said, if the US come out and we're like, hey, now we're gonna go for it for the first minute and we're gonna come charging out, Costa Rica bang the other way. That's you and I were there. What was it, Red Bull Arena a couple years, four years ago now? for that game where we got 2-0 oh, yeah. on the road. We were in there with the Outlaws a couple beers deep and you know by the end of it we're thinking what just happened what? right now? You know, and that was the type of game that we saw it was, a, it was a must-win game for the US. It was a US team that was attacking, that had all the ball. Two soccer punch goals uh, Costa Rica get out there with a win and we don't qualify for the World Cup.
0: L- let me ask you something. What what do you think the feeling would be? If look, I know I, I had talked about there was there were, there were certainly nine points to be had in this window. Obviously that's out the window right now. The most you're going to get is, uh, is six. If Greg Burhalter, because I want to finish it up with the, the talk about rotation uh, mm-hmm. and, and not just in what we've seen over the last 24 hours, but just in general on this the way that the game has changed, when it, if Greg Burhalter had played quote unquote, what he felt his best and most competitive team was, At the risk of that third game against Costa Rica and gone down there and uh, brought everybody and had players play through whatever problems that they have, uh, big or small, and found a way to get that three points on the road in in Panama at the expense of the result against Costa Rica. And so they still got six points, but it was only from home Jamaica and away in Panama. Let's say the shit hit the fan and, and they put himself in a worse position to get the points against Costa Rica. How do you think people would respond?
1: I don't think people would be happy and this is, I wouldn't be happy because I, I think I look at this and, and this is why I'm still scratching my head over why he did what he did in Panama is that uh, I would rather say, let's, let's say I got the, the, the six points out of the first two games I'm free rolling in the third game, right? Because I think we, we would be happy with s- right. six points over, the, over a it window, changes right? The, the, it changes the, the mentality in the, mentality and the way that you think yeah. about it because all of a sudden you've right. put pressure on yourself to get that in the third game. You're There's coming some off, squeaky bums right now. Yes, uh, <laughs> you're, you're coming off of a high <laughs> yeah. Jamaica. Now you're at a low. Now your team men- mentally has to be dialed in back again, but now you're feeling a different type of pressure as opposed to saying let's go to Panama, let's take our A-team, let's play our A-team, let's win that game, and let's put ourselves in a position to get nine points. Now you're in a position just to get six points, to be happy with the window, and now the pressure's on the third game. That's what's so frustrating about, I I think, an arrogance that we could make seven changes and that we could get a result against Panama, who have been playing well in the octagonal. They didn't play well in the Gold Cup. Panama have been up for it in, in this octagonal. They ran Mexico all the way at home. They've picked up eight points. We're sitting tied with Panama right now. It's not a team that's sitting at the bottom like Jamaica have been. In Jamaica, we rolled over. This was the harder game. I, I feel more confident that we could roll out a seven-change lineup against Costa Rica at home. I would feel more confident about getting a point. This is also not right? a tournament, too. This yeah, is also it's not, not a tournament.
0: Uh, well, I mean, okay, you, so... Why and explain this to me as an as an old guy, I'm going to grumpy old man uh, this for you. Why can't players play three games in a week or three he, games? You're in talking
1: a to a guy who who had trouble playing a full season at this point. Um, I, I think they can. No question but about I, it. I feel like it's it's. We have planted this seed now
0: in this generation that they that they can't, and now it's a self fulfilling prophecy. I don't think it's the prophecy.
1: three. I don't think it's the three as as an alone. I I think you're you, and I'm I'm. I think the players should be able to play the three games right. in a window, right? And in, in seven days, it's tough. You're going to see tired legs in the last game, but. I think you're taking into account the amount of club games that guys are playing now, the amount of travel that goes into it as well. Yeah, but all once the game's
0: of, over, what does Greg Berhalter care if he's sending them back to their teams as as a mess? Get get what you want out of these three games. It's not Greg Berhalter's job to help Chelsea or Juventus or anybody else do it. You send them back on the plane, and if they're shattered, they're shattered. That's well, the club's I mean, problem.
1: Gio is your example there, right? Gio Reyna comes in had played at so many games at the beginning of the season for Dortmund. He travels in, he plays, travels, comes back, pulls his hamstring, he's out for two months. So now now you miss him for this window. So, I, I mean, that's, yeah. the, that's the risk I think you learn, uh, you run, and you do have to look at it, you know, on a bigger picture and think, okay, this guy's played X amount of minutes. And I know, look, the, the data <laughs> scientists will tell you, I'm not a data scientist, I'm tr- but I, I'm, I'm just I'm looking trying at that. so
0: hard not to, you know, call them wimps you know and say suck it up buttercup I mean
1: figure it out <laughs> Well, here. I think I would tell that players would tell you they want to play right, right? like you, if you tell Gio Reyna I, I said this before Warren Barton I've I, and I, I've had this many com- a conversation many times I got obsessed with minutes and loads and all that coming back from my injuries because I came back too soon from an ACL I tore my ACL again um, and I came back at five and a half months when my stats weren't probably where they should have been. That's that's a little different. But Warren was saying he couldn't imagine a data scientist coming in and telling him, hey, you're on the bench this weekend because you're hitting that red zone. And if you play this game, there's a 95% chance you're going to pull your hamstring. Warren said, I take the 95% or the 5% chance that I will stay healthy because I want to play that game. So I, I don't think if Ricardo Pepe had Greg Berhalter gone and said, hmm, you know, you're you're on the verge of the red zone here. We need you for the third game. We're gonna we're gonna take you out of this game because there's a high chance you get injured. I know you're it's about some, to throw everything. Uh, if, I'm just telling you that's how it somebody works. Had, now,
0: had come up to me and said, uh, "Our data tells us that." Um, you have a 95% chance of pulling your hamstring. I would have punched him in the face. <laughs> I mean, and once again, this is not me. I, I, I believe in science. I believe in data. I believe in numbers. So and if all he that told you
1: the 95% he's going to take the punch in the face, but that you might miss the next round of qualifying. You might miss all three games. You rolling, rolling the dice. I call bullshit. All right. I mean, I no.
0: you're a, you're a fine-tuned machine. You should be able... We, we have these airplanes that go up in the air and they fly back and forth and back and forth for hundreds of thousands
1: of hours. That is right? a machine. And I'm Players not saying are you, not machines. I'm not saying you don't maintain... Yes, they are machines. They are human machines. Yes, okay? but human machines hit their limit at a point. Much like a car needs a service. Much so, like... Don't hit your limits, all right. Just well, That's the cru- point of the data cruising scientist.
0: Cruising altitude. If you're elite, I'll take cruising altitude. That's why any coach will tell you, I don't want the ups and downs of a player. I want consistency, all right. And, the, and ugh. I don't know. I I I'm probably you know at
1: some point, right? Let's fast forward. Let's put this podcast in a time capsule. In 20 years, you're going to be wearing a wristband as a player, and when you hit that red limit, you're going to get yanked straight out of the right? game, and the next guy is going to come in. <laughs> that that's going to happen. Let's let's. I mean, they're putting trackers in balls, and boots, and socks, and in your back. They've all wearing that little hump in the back that tells you how much and how far and how quickly you've run. And...
0: I'm not saying that you can't destroy a player or that there aren't diminishing returns at a certain point if you if you put a player in a situ- in a situation that either physically or mentally or both is uh, is stressful for a prolonged but look, uh, period Alexi, of time
1: some cars are Ferraris uh, some cars are Fords. I was never a Ferrari yes yeah, so, so, so some can be run they're high power machines but I was run a Honda them, Accord them. all right it, it yeah. was never gonna and break you down
0: trucking man most uh stolen car in history <laughs> but it was never going to break down so I'll, you know I'll take a bunch of Honda Accords is that how you okay? stole a
1: career yeah Ah. basically basically
0: all right well listen um we're gonna we're gonna put these games to bed as i said if you're listening to this right now it's very possible that the wednesday game in uh, in columbus against costa rica is happening or about to happen right now we're we are I'm not cautiously optimistic. I am optimistic. I, should, I think that there's yeah. going to be a bounce back. I think individually players uh, are are going to bounce back. Either that were involved, and certainly the players that won't. I think that they will feel a responsibility and an opportunity. Let's be honest to set things right and finish yeah. up this window. And you know it 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 it. I don't think it's going to change, to your point, anybody's view on what Greg Berhalter is or 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 isn't. People like him. People don't like him. People like him because of this. People don't like him because of this. That's going to continue on regardless of the results. But from a practical perspective, the U.S. needs to win. Mm-hmm. The U.S. needs three points yeah. against Costa Rica. And if not, absolutely, there should be questions about whether Greg Berhalter is fit to continue on uh, in the capacity as a head coach. Not because he's not... A good coach, but because if if there is a feeling that we are in jeopardy of qualifying for yet another men's World Cup, uh, you got to make sure. I I would
1: be there. I I would be there if we don't win against Costa Rica. I'm not there right now. With when it comes to Greg Berhalter, but what I would say and what I said before, he has brought this pressure on himself. And he had an incredible opportunity in the game against Panama, off the back of a great performance and great result against Jamaica, to get something out of Panama where you come back and we're not having these conversations. But now we're having these conversations and if the U.S. do not get a win against Costa Rica, I'm back where I was at halftime of the Honduras game and I don't have the confidence that these... uh, I'm back thinking again, will the U.S. make the World Cup? And and look,
0: I am am in a certain way very happy that there is this... Level of consternation because yeah. it means that people care. It means that people have a passion for it and and keep it going. Uh, also, some perspective is in order. As I said, we are in second place. We being the United States, we are in second place uh, of this eight team octagonal that's go uh, that's going on. We got another window coming up uh, in uh, in November. If the U.S. were to beat costa rica they you know at worst would be continue to be in second place behind our friends uh, mexico who, who got that uh, uh who got that win so still when it comes to qualifying sitting pretty but also keep in mind the u.s still has games two games against mexico both home and away that's not uh, not easy and away game uh against canada and need I remind you that when we played against home against Canada, we only got a point. All right. So interesting days when it comes to the U.S. men's national team. And we'll see what this week brings us as the U.S. men's national team and Greg Berhalter turns the new soap. Um, all right. We're going to take a real quick break. And when we come back, we'll take a quick uh, trip around the world and see what else was going on when it comes to soccer. Don't go away. All right. We are back. Uh, Okay. It wasn't just all about the US men's national team. There was plenty of other soccer uh, and soccer news that was uh, going on out there, including the uh, Nations League. Uh, World Cup qualifying for the world uh, continues on. Not um, Not necessarily a whole lot to talk about. You got teams like England beaten up on uh, Andorra and all these different things. So not a whole lot of surprises, but also simultaneously going on was the UEFA Nations League. You heard about this uh,
1: Nations League there, Scott? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Love it. No, I was, I mean, the, the last two games were awesome. The yes, semis, the semis yes. and the final. And
0: why were they awesome? They were awesome because you had great teams playing against each other, competitive types of games. They weren't uh, meaningless. And, you know, you want to see big teams playing uh, against each other. So we had uh, France of versus spain in the, the final ultimately uh it ended up being a uh, 2-1 win for france spain controversially sco- well i i guess it is. Well, is yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll get into that so spain scores first now uh and spain all right they're off to the races everything's uh, everything's fine and uh then france said uh, no no me. this is this is not going to happen and almost immediately turned around uh and benzema responds and
1: if you haven't seen the Benzema goal, look it up. It's absolute it's, banger.
0: It's a beautiful, you know, cut on the off off the wing, cut back to your right hand side, and then just put it in the uh, in the upper oh, corner. You make it sound
1: so simple. Well, it's not simple. It's outside the box. It's I mean, sim- it's a well, beauty. The the actual, it's coming from a center back there. Well, the
0: actual pattern of that is time tested and time honored. I mean, you look at Aryan Robin <laughs> or you know. Uh, Carlos Vela or any of these types of players. Now, he's not necessarily that type of player, but for him, a big man kind of to cut back in and to have the wherewithal to do that. So right right then, they're right back on the board. Is is there a more underappreciated uh, player than Karim Benzema? Benzema?
1: I mean, and, and think about how long he was... It's crazy. Rightfully so, by the way, exiled from the, the French yeah, national team for it's a bad boy. Uh, yeah, black, uh, blackmailing a teammate. But yeah, it's uh, no, nitpicking, but whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. nitpicking. No, I mean, this is a guy that yeah. uh, for how long he's been at Real Madrid, Um, I do feel in recent years, I'm talking the last couple of years now, two, three years, he, he's starting to, I feel like, get the credit he deserves. But he always felt like the guy at Real Madrid where they're saying, well, we got to sign a striker. We have it's, we've got Benzema. Need to get somebody else, right? We need. We're gonna go out and spend money. This is Galacticos, but this guy has been at Real Madrid for over a decade. Has scored goals consistently, and even more since Cristiano Ronaldo has gone back with the French national team. Now, and it is a scary proposition when you look at that team. These are defending World Cup champions. Of course, they they flamed out in the uh, the Euros, but man, they, he looked awesome the other night and scored a wonder goal, and then. You know, Mbappe came through for the. All for the right, second so
0: then, one. so then Mbappe comes through, and uh, as you mentioned, there was there was some controversy. If you watched the game, he scores the goal, uh, goes and celebrates, and as is the case most goals nowadays, we we have that that suspended uh, moment of celebration because the possibility of VAR and their checking and all this, and then the um and it was a great goal. I mean he gets behind and he just he does a really good job of actually faking to cross the ball and then and then putting it in. But there there is you know there's this moment now where VAR comes into play and we suspend our ability to uh, to celebrate it. And and then the highlight and the freeze frame comes on yeah. and it appears to everybody that's watching the game including including the announcers. He's offside. It wasn't even a question. It was like oh this is going to be called back. This is you know. And and then a couple of minutes go by as they're as they're doing it, and the referee with his hand to the to the ear and all that, and we come to find out that it's a goal. Mm-hmm. So, I, and I don't doubt that the VAR folks believe that this was the right thing, but it was just very, very in that moment, it was mind boggling to, to to understand as to how they had come to that decision. But we also know that we are only privy to what is shown to us. Uh, And we, we, I say, both the viewers and uh, uh, most times the broadcasters out there, there there could be other angles, there could be other ways uh, that they have calculated. And it was determined through the angles and the calculations out there that this indeed was uh, was on side. Now, since then, uh, plenty of talk out there. If it was, it was very, very close. And it's about those angles, ultimately.
1: So... This is actually, I I was looking at this as well, and this has come back to a rule that then became very controversial during the World Cup as well. I remember it clearly. So the reason they're saying Mbappe, who was in an offside position, so there's no doubt he was in an offside position. The reason he was saying he is onside, and I've seen many referees come public about this, including Christina Uncle, who worked with us during the Mm -hmm. Women's World Cup it's because the defender made a deliberate attempt to play the ball. Oh, is that what that was? And then negated the offside, and then he's onside. Now, I don't love the application of the rule in this instance, because then what are you talking about? What's a deflection? What's a deliberate attempt at the ball? And the reason it made me think of the World Cup, too, is I remember there was a player in an offside position. I'm forgetting the teams. Let's just call it Uruguay. And a, a defender goes up to make a play at the ball, he flicks it on, but the guy is in an offside position. He's not going to try to head the ball the way he is or even stretch for it unless the defender, uh, unless the attacking player was there. But instead, he gets the slightest touch on it. The attacker gets it, put it in the back of the net. It's a goal. So now knowing that, do you like that call?
0: Yeah, 100%.
1: Because it's by the rules. Yeah, so laws, so, excuse me, so, laws. Uh, laws. Yeah, so <laughs> so Eric Garcia making the attempt to play that ball, even though in, he's trying to cut off a through ball to Mbappe, who's in an offside position. That negates the offside. He's onside. It's a goal.
0: Yeah, if you if you make a legitimate attempt at the ball, then it absolutely. Yeah. I, negates I get it. it. I don't love it. You don't love it. Don't love it.
1: But then we're trying to rewrite, re-write another law, and then yeah, it becomes even more subjective. Uh, just as uh, uh, as if our rules exactly. aren't complicated enough exactly. at times. Exactly.
0: No, I'm good. Uh, I am good uh, with that. If that ultimately uh, is the reason, and 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 it was it was a huge moment because ultimately that, that was the goal that won the, the Nations, League, won France, the Nations yeah. League. So congratulations to our friend, uh, our friends France. Uh, sorry uh, for our friends from uh, Spain. So uh, you know, France just rolls on and they will rightfully so um, continue to be the favorites in any tournament that Mm -hmm. they play because the amount of talent that they have, does this, we'll finish this here, is this a preview for where Mbappe uh, ultimately ends up here? I mean, how how much longer do you think Mbappe is going to be around? I mean, he, he came out even last week, and talked about how he's already asked to to yeah. I, I to think go.
1: I think he'll be wearing a white shirt next year for uh Real Madrid, uh, Mbappe. You do yes. And are you there for that? I would love it. Yeah. yeah. I, I I love. I also love the the fact that a, a, a guy that could make however many much money at PSG could stay and be a part of the Neymar and Messi experience. But still, even though knows Messi's coming, he's like, I want to go to Real Madrid. It's it's been his. Boyhood club, a team that he's supported, has dreamed of. They've seen the pictures of him at the Bernabeu. And I, I would love to see him at that uh, Real Madrid team in La Liga, even if he was to score a hat-trick against Real Mallorca, maybe.
0: All right. Uh, Another big thing that happened uh, this week that has nothing to do necessarily with kicking the ball directly, uh, ultimately you will, is uh, that Newcastle, Newcastle United. And and I'm glad you're here because I'm talking to someone who uh, played in the Premier League and certainly understands uh, that country. And even someone like myself who doesn't have that direct connection, I understand what Newcastle is. I certainly understand what Newcastle was. And I, I certainly understand what Newcastle is hoping to be through uh, through this sale. The first thing that anybody asks nowadays when it comes to any type of takeover, any type of sale of a team is how much money do you have and how much money are you going to put into the product? Because we all know that that directly relates to how good you're going to be, mm-hmm. especially in this day and age of the Super Club and especially in a league like uh, the EPL where it's populated by a lot of billionaires, but the haves and haves are very, very apparent. And when you look at the the net worth of ownership, whether it's an individual or a group uh, relative to, let's say the top six and everyone else, there is a massive type of disparity. And even I know that Newcastle has the potential
1: yeah, because they're, be, they're a big club, right? right.
0: They're a big club, uh, and and <laughs> it's all and I, I've talked to Warren Barton about <laughs> yeah. this. Everybody keeps what telling is a big me. club. Everybody yeah. keeps telling me how big this club is, um, and yet they have been, from a financial perspective and a business perspective, not necessarily run as one. They it's not that it's not that they haven't done good business or been a good business. It's just that they haven't spent the money to keep up. And to be that super club that people believe they should be, and a lot of that is directly related to the amount of support that they have, the fervent and passionate support that they have, the size of the crowds that they get, uh, and all that. So, g- give our our listeners and our viewers a little insight and idea of how big this club is, as opposed to from the outside, are they just
1: saying they're a big club? Or no, they they are they are a big club. And I remember my first time playing at the St James's Park, and you know. Stepping on that field and looking around and thinking, wow, this is a huge stadium, boisterous crowd, passionate crowd. I was told that around the stadium, you might not want to walk around uh, and and just kind of mingle in. It has been in that big club conversation. And, and in fact they've been the uh, the butt of many of those jokes because they have not been uh, on the field a big club for quite some time now. I mean, you have to go back to the Alan Shearer, Warren Barton type uh, years for this club But when they were challenging, when they were winning uh, Premier Leagues. And it's always, though, Team Alexi, though, that people would be interested in investing and buying because of the built-in support and the infrastructure and the potential for it to become a global brand if done the right way. And I think that's why the fans are always so frustrated at whoever's taken over, whether it be Mike Ashley, the lack of investment, because they feel their potential is so big to be in the conversations with the Manchester United's and Liverpool's and Man City's and Chelsea's, Arsenal's. Well, I don't know if we can say Arsenal anymore, right? Sorry, <laughs> Arsenal fans. But, you know, I think that's where that is. There's a little bit of controversy surrounding this, uh, this takeover with the ties to a sovereign nation of Saudi Arabia and where the money comes from. That part I'm not as up to and, and educated on to be able to really give you an opinion on, but I would tell you- Do you a think couple, they care? Do you think anybody no, cares? No, I was just going to say, I don't think the Newcastle fans will care because they want to win and all they care about is their team on the field. And- The ethics might be blurred a little Uh, bit, but
0: that moral high ground very, very quickly goes away for a lot of folks, and and uh, you know. But uh, but it
1: would be a thrill for for a guy that you know lived in the UK for more than half of my life to to see a club like Newcastle back, let's say, competing in the top six, potentially competing for Premier Leagues again. Newcastle fans already obnoxious at times, they would be beyond obnoxious, which would be They're fun. They're like yeah Which would be fun. they like Sounders Perfect.
0: Fans. Okay. Uh, so they bought the club for just over 300 million uh, pounds and they are reportedly worth the public investment fund, the PIF, which is now the... Um, the uh, the entity which owns this this team they're supposedly <laughs> worth three hundred and twenty billion, billion. Oh. with a B. So so uh,
1: is it one percent investment? So, is that right?
0: I, I mean, look, it, and that's why everybody is so gung ho and, and excited about something like this. However, I mean, we can certainly look at you know uh, the Colorado Rapids or other, uh, others where um, just having very, very rich owners doesn't necessarily mean that those rich owners are going to put this into, uh, into this club. I do think that this puts them in at a completely different echelon uh, and, and they will spend a, a lot of money. So in your little crystal ball, uh, and we'll finish it up here, what does this team look like let's say, in, in five years. Are they one of the elites? Uh I mean, because we've seen Manchester City do something uh in a very short, relatively short period of time and become one of the elites, one of the super clubs through the money and the investments that yes. they have.
1: Yeah, I, I would say that this is a sport that has proven over the past decade, two decades, that money can buy you success sure. in this league. And... You do have to do it the right way. You do have to hire the right people. But more often than not, if you keep taking shots and you keep buying the best players and you're you're buying the guys that are 60, 70, 80 million pounds, you're going to have a much better team on, on the field. And I do believe that this is probably what you're looking at, like a three to five year project for this team to be competitive again, minimum. And at that point, I think five years, you've got Newcastle, if they're going to spend, this is just all a big asterisk here, is I, I would see them competing in, in the conversation for champions leagues and the Premier League. I mean, title.
0: they're sitting in what, nineteenth right now? So they gotta do some work right now. Yeah. I mean they gotta yeah. figure it As out.
1: Now Miguel Amaron, you know. <laughs> He's one of the I mean, exactly. actually one of the, <laughs> the bright
0: spots when he it comes is, to yeah. that team. I don't think th- I think that they will keep uh, that they will keep in manager out, players out uh figure it out, but they got to mm-hmm. hit the ground running here and first off just make sure that they're staying Can't wait and, for
1: Pep Guardiola at, at Newcastle. Go right. Oh there we go. That yeah. would
0: be interesting. Uh okay, let's uh let's uh, another story that came out this week um is Neymar saying, and, and I quote, I don't know if I have the strength of mind to deal with football anymore. And he's talking about the next World Cup, which, you know, unless something ridiculous happens, uh, Brazil is going to qualify for. And unless, knock on wood, uh, something bad happens to him from an injury standpoint, he is going to be a part of. And we all know that He is the center of attention and has a a lot of the focus and and pressure on him. But he's suggesting that this could possibly be his last World uh, Cup. One, do you think it's going to be his last uh, World Cup? Two, do you care?
1: (laughs) One, I do not think it'll be his last World Cup. I I think that um, Neymar is a very emotional guy, Alexi. We've seen that over the years. He's... uh, if things are going well he's a happy boisterous fun loving love to see him play and then you lose the Copa America final you're crying you're you're inconsolable you're hugging Messi and the next day he wakes up and he's happy again. Yeah. You know, I don't know. He he's part of that younger generation that you went on your grumpy old man rant about earlier that clearly while he probably hasn't uh, officially talked about it in this way. He has some mental health stuff going on at times where I think he carries so much pressure and at all times, he struggles to deal with that type of pressure. And I think you're looking at him, a guy in the moment right now that's thinking about, oh my gosh, I'm going to be Neymar. Neymar has to lead Brazil to a World Cup in 2022 and I've got to lead PSG to the Champions League. I got a little help from my friends name uh, Mbappe and, and Messi. But... He goes through these waves and if if PSG win the Champions League and Brazil win the World Cup in 22, you're going to see him in 26, even if they don't. Uh, I think it's a guy that is so talented and has so much potential that... And I also see a guy that loves playing and representing his national team and craves these records and being in yeah. conversations with guys like Pelé that I think you'll see him in 26. And two, I do care. I, I, I want to see the best players. Yes,
0: I do care. And I, I don't. I, it's not only that I want to see the best players, which I do, but I want to see the biggest personalities yeah. on the biggest stage. Yeah, love and him or
1: hate him. He's he's interesting, he, right?
0: People tune in and people yeah. want to see. and They want to see what he does on the field. They want to see what he does off the field, what he says. I mean, just just saying something like this is international news because mm-hmm. of because because who, uh, of who he is and I, I would love to see him not only next year uh, where, I, where I think we, we will see him but but I also think that kind of targeting in the way that we're all kind of targeting this 2026 yeah. it's not just internal and, and domestically we're targeting it uh, for great things I think the world really is also looking at 2026 because keep in mind you know the World Cup next year. It's it's not an afterthought by any stretch of the imagination. As a matter of fact, it's going to be really, I think, unique and cool. But it also is going to be very different in that it's happening in November and December, and we go back on this this uh, this summer schedule in 2026. And from a U.S. perspective, to have. All the best players and all the biggest personalities, including something like uh, Neymar, only makes it that much more special than it uh, than it is going to be. Uh, let's finish it up here because uh, our friend Christian Pulisic, who we know uh, is not playing because of his consistent, and I know at times incredibly aggravating, but it's just the reality um, of, of injuries that he has. He hasn't played for the last couple of months. As he's been out in Chelsea, although he's set to return uh, to training at least. It's an with ankle
1: a, this time, which makes you feel a little bit better than a muscle. Yeah, injury. exactly. So I, so, I, I mean, know. and then
0: that just just takes time, and he'll he'll get back. And um, I'm you know I'm I'm sure he's watching what his uh, his teammates and friends are doing right here, and I'm sure he was as angry as everybody was uh, about the loss. Um, to uh to panama yesterday but we did get to a christian Polisic exciting for those that don't know the nfl which has their games that they play overseas including in uh in england and they have done for a number of years had their game the falcons uh where are they from uh, remind me uh, atlanta the 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 uh, falcons, falcons of atlanta against the jets of new york and yes. when i say new york i actually mean new jersey which is where they play <laughs> um christian polisic showed up on the sideline wearing a jets jersey um, and uh, our fearless leader Luis uh, has a joke here where he says, uh, Christian Pulisic wearing a Jets jersey may be the most impressive thing the Jets have done this season. That's a good one, I Aww. like that. Um,
1: everybody beats up on the Jets, you know, I know, and the Giants, I, both New York teams, but, uh, but I just wanted it's to like uh, MLS
0: teams to, to reference that. So, Christian Pulisic is out and about, and evidently he's going to be uh, g- uh, going to be back, and hopefully. Uh, not just with Chelsea, but with the national team, because we mentioned there's another window coming up uh, in in November. And you know, when we talk about playing your best players, you don't need you or myself to let to tell people that having Christian Pulisic is a good thing and for the U.S. to have on the field. And we don't get it enough, and that's that's been problematic uh, for for him and for the national team. So the more opportunity we get to see him, the better off. So whether it's uh, him showing up on the on the on the sideline wearing a Jets uh, jersey at an NFL game in England. That's all fine and well. What I want to see him in is a Chelsea jersey and a yeah, US Men's US. National he, team. He he does
1: have a weird t- taste of sports teams. I mean, I, I, apparently he's been a Jets fan as well documented, but to see him wearing the Jets jersey, what, he's wait, also a He's not like a, a well, he's also Billy a Cleveland uh, a Cleveland Pittsburgh. Cavaliers fan, I believe. Uh too, he supported. He was rocking a, a Cavs jersey with LeBron on the back and Listen, yeah, I mean, good for him. He's loyal to his teams. I, I like to see I it.
0: think that we have pretty much You're figured wearing a out Detroit that. Detroit
1: Express shirt. Here. This is an old
0: Detroit Express shirt before <laughs> your time. I think we figured out that Christian Pulisic, um, you know, he he has his own uh, drummer <laughs> that he beats to, uh, uh, which is which is fine, which is which is great. All I need him to do is be really good when he's on the field uh, from a soccer perspective, and do whatever he wants uh, off the field. All right, uh, we're going to take another quick break, and when we come back, oh yeah, it's time for some of your questions with our Ask Alexi segment. Don't go away. Alright, we're back and it's time for Ask Alexi. Uh, Okay, Stu, we got some questions here and I want to remind everybody that uh, we do have our hotline, Which is 657 549 2297, our State of the Union hotline where you can call in and leave your questions and your comments and concerns. 657 549 2297, or you can do the traditional so way. So, you have a hotline yeah. for,
1: for a podcast as yeah, well? Awesome. people call
0: in and then they yell at us. Some of them we can actually use. I'm Most start of them are ranting and. Prank oh, calls. listen, some yeah. of them are very, Hello. very interesting. <laughs> All right, this
1: is uh, Jimmy from Scotland here. I want to know why Alexi's always yelling at things, including that. That mossy fella, what's he doing?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's some interesting interesting uh, calls that we get. All right, here we go. So we're going to start off with Philip Partain, who asks, it seems from your tweets that you are leaning in favor of a two-year World Cup schedule. Being objective, what are the risks and or legitimate concerns that you see standing in the way? All right, I'm going to get your, uh, your take on this too, Stu. Um, you have been sitting on the fence on this a lot. I... I no, I'm not sitting on the fence. Um, you know, I'm kind of using the platforms that I have to throw stuff against the wall and to um, to ask myself questions, to ask other others questions. And look, you've, for those of that, that follow this podcast, you you will know that over the last couple of weeks, this is something that I've been involved with, and a discussion that's been go- uh, that's been had about the possibility of changing. What is a 90 year tradition of having uh, the World Cup every four years and having it every uh, every two years. And within that proposal coming from Arsene Wenger and FIFA is also changing of the calendar. Uh, Stu Holden can uh, you know talk to you about how the calendar and the amount of travel and the amount of time uh, spent, um, you know, can can at times be detrimental. And so having fewer windows. Uh, for national team games uh, and, you know, more youth tournaments, uh, youth World Cups, all that all that kind of stuff. But a lot of it is focused on having a World Cup every uh, every couple of years. A couple of things um, that that I think are legitimate and fair questions to ask. Um, you know, One is uh, about the prestige. And, you know, that's for me is very, very quickly um, not put aside, but answered. Uh, I think the World Cup is the World Cup uh, because it is the most popular um, and I believe the most exciting uh, World Cup, or the most exciting sporting event in the world. Not because it's every four years, just because, because it's, it's the World Cup. Because we it's watch the, the Super Bowl every year yeah, and we're exactly, jacked because up. Because up it's the it. World Cup. So yeah. I don't think the prestige. Um, which I do. It's fair and legitimate, but I don't think that that holds a lot of water. At least, uh, at least for me, people are going to pay for it. People are going to go for it. People are going to go crazy for it, even uh, being every two years. And keep in mind, this is not just men's but also women's uh, when it comes to when it comes to the uh, uh, the World Cups. You know, we talked about how this is possibly going to uh, you know impact uh, different. Uh, Different national teams, including the U.S. national team, the the minimal windows. It's very different for a U.S. team as opposed to another uh, team, especially a team uh, like the United States, both in our men's and women's that use it. So use the national teams as forms of promotion and marketing out there to have that go away and to be out of sight and out of mind for what uh, eight months. I think that that could be a, a problem. The you know the uh, the regional tournaments that we have, the the gold cups, if you will. I'm not worried about you know the um, the euros, because that's that's a juggernaut like the World Cup, and that's going to continue to be to be so. And by the way, it wouldn't surprise me in the least if if we go to every, every two every years and they go to yeah. two years too. Yeah. But how it affects those tournaments, which is important, they're important for from a revenue generating perspective and from a prestige and, and marketing perspective out there. So how it impacts those types of things, I think that uh, that's a legitimate thing. Um, uh, to talk about when it, comes, uh, when it comes to a World Cup. Uh, what else uh, out there? Oh, this is the final thing that I say uh, that I think is a question that needs to ultimately be answered by FIFA. Uh, if you notice that the people that are talking about this, they stay well away from talking about the financial aspects mm-hmm. of it and the money. And that is, that is strategic. That is by design. And I get it. It's actually smart, given what happened with Super League and given the fact that FIFA comes with a lot of baggage, especially when it comes to, to, uh, to money. But at some point, you know, making money and making more money can't be looked at as a negative. We talk about all of these members that are in FIFA and the majority of them rely and some of them uh, and and actually a lot of them rely solely on the benevolence and the charity, if you will, and the help and the support of FIFA that comes in the form oftentimes of money. money. So more money of, of that is going to be good. But nobody is going to do this if it doesn't make their situation better. And you can say that that's greed or or, or whatever, but ultimately nobody's going to do something that is going to put themselves in a worse position than when they started. And so you're going to have to, if you're FIFA, at some point, Really get down and dirty, and that's really where this argument is going to be, especially when it comes to the likes of UEFA and Cominable, which are the ones that are holding out because they they theoretically have the most to lose. You have to make sure that they that you can make a case to say, you know what? Not only are you not going to lose anything, but you are going to become better. And ultimately, when I say better, I mean you are going to make more money because that is when people start checking off boxes and and, it. and and dinging. And that's ultimately what's going what's going to happen. And FIFA. I, I know why, like I said, strategically, they're not talking about the money. But you have to, at some point, get in front of people and say, this is what you do now. We are going to change to this. And this is what we anticipate you making. And it's going to be more. And that's that's the thing. So those are those are some of the things right now that are legitimate. And I think uh, yeah. fair concerns and questions that I have and criticisms so, uh, of the possibility. So of this I'll,
1: I'll fire one back at yeah, you. Sure. You fired me earlier in the pod is that. You laid out a lot of great facts, a lot of ba- background information are you are you at a point where you're willing to disclose what you where you're leaning right now as far as are you in favor or not in favor or do you still need to piece all of that together because I do think you laid out just about every question that right. people would yeah. have yeah.
0: I, I no I am definitely leaning towards supporting supporting this. It. Uh, because and and there's one thing one why I am there is actually nothing to do with what we talked about. It has to do with the fact that I don't want to change just to change, but I also recognize, and I think I mentioned this on the pod before.
1: What did done for it you, if it
0: doesn't, well, that that part of it yeah. we've talked about. Okay. I mean, that, no, that's more of a romantic notion, right? Yeah. I mean, giving people, players, teams the opportunities. Yeah. Why would I ever stand in the way of somebody doing? It? I've mentioned that before, but but what something, if it doesn't work, we can go back. I mean, there's nothing stopping us from changing back to what we were or tweaking and saying this part didn't work or anything.
1: Yeah, well, I was going to say, I I guess what would the determining factors, I'm trying to think about it, be that this wouldn't be a success, right? And I I think one of my concerns in in looking at it, and I think you you Mm -hmm. touched on it, is losing the identities of the confederations and the regional type tournaments, right? And why is that important? I, I think it's important because... I know the World Cups are going to expand, and there's going to be more teams, and more teams will have opportunities, and that means more money. Ideally, even though we were, we don't want to talk about finances, sure. it does mean more money. But what is the trickle down effect to the? You know, I, I'm thinking about the teams like Suriname and Guyana, and teams that played in the Gold Cup, right? And and have had those chances to be in this big regional tournament. They get more money from that, and it's it's great for their confederation. CONCACAF's getting more money from all of these and they're investing more into grassroots and and building the confederation. So I'm interested to see over the coming months, maybe years, this this could take a while before this actually happens. What is the support like from Ball, from CONCACAF, from Asia, from you know, UEFA because UEFA is the juggernaut here, yeah. right? If if UEFA support it, then you're saying, wow, this this actually could make sense for a uh, a confederation that doesn't necessarily need it, right? They they make so much money. They've got all the biggest teams, biggest support, etc. So, putting my romantic part aside and the sentimental part, because I think just that's what we've grown up with. It's right. every four years. I, I'm I'm thinking about the players and Thibaut Courtois had a pretty uh, yeah, solid interview um, yesterday, just talking about you know, and he's he brought in finances, right? He said. The players are getting to a point. We're playing too many games. Why are we playing a third, fourth place game? I don't know that one either. I, right. Let's just get rid of that game completely. Um, but because of all the games that these players, the players are going to run at a point where they're going to not be able to play the amount of games that they are. And that's one of the things I like that this solves. And that even though the World Cup would be every two years, you're eliminating the windows in which players would have to travel, especially people playing in Europe that would have to go to South America, to North America, to Asia, to Asia the amount of travel back and forth in so many different windows and then still playing with your your club team, I think that alleviates some of that and you're actually, I saw the stats, I, I've seen the presentation as well and that you're playing less games, it's less travel exponentially and then you're still getting more higher quality games with the World Cup two, every two years. I would still be interested as a fan, as a broadcaster, it's the biggest tournament there is, right? So we'd, and that's we'd love that's, more that.
0: that's what the response to Courtois would be. It's like, yeah. okay, Good. You're, You're going to play less games. You're going to play less yeah. games, and I think, and that's that's a messaging problem uh, from a from a. But th- you know, this is a ba- this is a battle for hearts and minds, as we said before. Uh, you know, uh, what's his name? Um, the uh, UEFA chief of football, Boban, great, great player. Now he's the chief of football. You know, he said. You know, he described the potential for this biennial uh, World Cup as quote worse than uh, the Super League, and. I don't I don't think that it that it is but I totally get it I mean this is you know talk and, and talking about the diminishing of the of the prestige as I said before that is an easy angle um to take and and, and often very very smart because it plays on that romance and that mm-hmm. tradition like you said and all the nostalgia there it, it doesn't necessarily require data or any analysis or, or any of the facts uh, out there and these are and we all fall into this. These are emotional triggers that that we all feel and that are really, really powerful when you're yeah. you're using those things. And the same thing we see happen in in politics. And so, like I said, for FIFA, this is really a battle for hearts and minds. And yes, there's the numbers and the mo- and the money out there that that is going to be part of it, but they also have to get in there and, Convince people that this is going to be good for the yeah. game, and this is FIFA, and <laughs> we all know that with but, the baggage uh, that they have, I it's, mean, it's not always easy.
1: I feel like you made a good analogy there when it comes to politics, thinking about trying to pass a bill through the House sure. and the Senate. And this is something I, I love the conversation, whether it happens or not. I, I do think it's time. You're think, you're talking about a 90 year old tradition. How much has the game changed since right. then? Right. With all the amount of cups and trophies and leagues, I have a hard enough time the explaining laws of the game, just the actual loss <laughs> of, <the game. laughs> yeah. of the game too, and. You know to be at least at a point where maybe not all of it sticks, maybe some of it sticks, and we're at least thinking about ways in which we can evolve as well as the game evolving match calendars, you know, whatever international tournaments, you name it, World Cups, Champions League, Super Leagues, Super League. No, um, we're not going to go down that rabbit hole again, but I, I do think there needs to be ways in which there's so many smart people involved in this game, right? And I think that it, it, it's time to perhaps look at. Things that we can change that have been around and are, are pretty archaic. Honestly, well, you,
0: we know you're a FIFA shill anyway, yeah, so I'm it doesn't sure. really matter. Yeah. Okay, let's uh, let's move on here. Oh, Fox Soccer with a, a, a question here. Now, this is a, an evergreen type of thing. Uh, who will win the Men's Ballon d'Or this year? So we got the uh, the top thirty list here uh, of people, and a lot of the the usual suspects, as you can imagine. Uh, I'll let you go first here. Is uh, anybody stand out to you? And when I say usual suspects, obviously you have Neymar and you have Messi and you have yeah. Cristiano and you have uh-huh. Lewandowski and Lukaku and uh, but then you have you know players like Killini, uh, and uh, we talked about Benzema earlier Aspilacueta really? Okay uh, <laughs> Mason wait Mason Mount? <laughs> Aspilaqueta uh, does
1: uh, jump Erlen off Holland, the page you know I mean, that, so that I think he'll uh,
0: figure figure into it Harry Kane N'Golo Kante no chance uh, Luis Suarez so there's it's all over the map but A lot of familiar names. I
1: would say that two two players standing out for me as as non traditionalists. I I don't think this is a year when you see Ronaldo and Messi win. And I would be in the Robert Lewandowski camp. And uh, the other close second for me would be Jorginho, who has had a a wonderful, wonderful year with. Chelsea winning the Champions League, with Italy winning the Euros, a very instrumental uh, player that in a position that typically doesn't get that type of recognition, right? Um, And look, the, the guy that does would be Lewandowski, a striker that just consistently throughout his career, no matter the game, no matter the competition... The guy just scores goals and won absolutely everything with Bayern Munich the year before. Um, the year in which they postponed the Ballon d'Or, of course, because of what happened in 2020. And, uh, you know, a guy that just is still scoring at an insane rate and a guy that I think is fully deserving. I, I would be very disappointed if a guy like Lewandowski went throughout his career and did not win a Ballon d'Or.
0: It's his to lose. I think it's, yeah. I think it's his to lose. I think he's sentimental and I think it's completely justified, even if you have no sentiment about it. Um, Lukaku, uh, you know, given, given what he, what he has done, um, I don't think he'll ultimately win it, but, you know, maybe I can make a case uh, there. Uh, To your point about, you know, the, the uh, perennial favorites when it comes to Messi and Ronaldo, you know, both of them have gone through kind of transitions Mm -hmm. over the last couple of years, uh, some to greater effect. And it's not that, you know, maybe we we take them for for granted. Right, well,
1: their bar to win exactly. the Ballon d'Or is exactly. higher than the others. I think yeah. we
0: I think at times we do take them for granted, but I don't think that you know, like you were talking about when that and politics and everything else when that curtain closes and people are left there with their own thoughts, it's sometimes very, 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 very different. But I, I yeah, I mean, I, I it would surprise me, um, if anybody but Lewandowski won this. Good. You yep. think? Yeah, I am. Right. I'm happy. Right. You, you agree. I Let us know uh, what, what uh, you think out there. If we missed somebody, there's always somebody said, "Oh, this person was missed either on the list or this person on the list deserves it." it it's going to be a goal score. Okay, it's 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 <laughs> as we said earlier, it's the it's the hardest thing to do in our game. That's why all the attention. That's why they get all the money. Vo- uh, kind of borrow, right? Uh, Is he the last one? Yeah, to, but last
1: defender to win one. But
0: it's such an anomaly type of thing. So it's going to be it's going to be a goal score. Um Okay, uh, I think we got another one here, right? Yeah, last one. Stu Holden, did you send something in,
1: buddy? Uh, oh, yeah. This is me talking about socks. Oh, my goodness.
0: Yeah. All right. So, Stu Holden asked, does anyone else keep throwing odd socks back in the laundry, hoping... The long lost friend will turn up next time. And this is reference. This is a, a photo that you tweeted out here. So first off, explain this photo. I cannot remember where we we're. Uh, this,
1: this was you and I in in Nashville, and me just you know uh, staring into your eyes with with love as you're wont to do. Yeah, wonder and you know I get lost in that that beautiful Who doesn't? red hair. You're not alone, my friend. It's uh, you know this this was us killing time before uh, U.S. Canada result, in which we were very disappointed at the at the end of. But you know life on the road is one of our favorite things to do at times. Uh, the days can get long and we have to make them interesting right it, it, yeah absolutely we do um
0: but before we uh we go to our one for the we road and i'm going to talk to you a little bit about about uh, travel stories uh there give people a little idea about the the travel schedule for Stuart holden now it's it's hard now because of pandemics uh, happened here but in general, what was your travel schedule like?
1: Yeah, I'm trying to think back to to 2019 was right. by far and away the craziest year I've ever had when it came to travel. And that's when I was doing the Champions League with uh, Turner Bleach Report. I was doing traveling every weekend for MLS. And then we would have you know whatever various broadcasts. So I mean, there was a a five to six month stretch I would say when MLS was in the middle of the season, Champions League was going on. It would be let's let's start the week on a on a Thursday, um, and it would be Friday travel for an MLS game. Saturday we meet with the teams before a Sunday game. So you go to training, you watch home team training, you meet with the coaches and players. You go back to the uh, get some lunch. You go back that evening. You meet with the away team in their hotel. You do the game on a Sunday, I would fly Monday morning first thing to Atlanta as I was preparing for Champions League, watching games, Tuesday broadcast in Atlanta, Wednesday broadcast in Atlanta, Wednesday evening fly back home, get back at 1 or 2 a.m. in the morning from Atlanta Thursday at home with the family, Friday back on uh, an on an airplane, and my 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 wife is an absolute saint for uh, that four to five month period where it was like that, and you know we needed help, we needed support with kids and all that good stuff. But I loved it in in a weird sick way. Like this is what we do, right? We we love being at games and being sure. in stadiums, and I, I feel so lucky that we have the job that we do to be able to sit here and speak into a microphone about soccer, but. Uh, The work-life balance at times gets gets pretty difficult during those moments. And, you know, pandemic has changed the way we work and live and some of that for good, some of that for, you know, in, in different ways, thinking about our old lives, not so good, but...
0: Well, I mean, this picture graphically shows how I, I at the very least, tolerate you on a con- <laughs> uh, consistent basis. Hey, we uh, have here. fun doing we it. Do. That is we for do. We sure. do. And speaking of that, uh, we're gonna we're gonna come back here uh, for one more segment here, and I'll give me give you my one for the road. And Stu and I are gonna talk about some of the fun that we do have uh, out there. So don't go away. All right, we're back. And it's the end of the show. Uh, my good friend, Stu Holden, thank you so much for joining us and stepping into some very, very big shoes, ably stepping into some very, very big shoes of uh, of David Mossy. Uh, at the end of each and every show, I give you my one for the road. And I thought, you know, since Stu was here and I've spent so much of the last <laughs> decade uh, traveling around and, and oftentimes uh, with Stu, I thought, you know, I, th- I thought I'd kind of ask you a little bit more about uh, your life and our and our life on the road, a lot of times you spend um uh life on the road with your partner in crime John Mr. strong John strong okay yeah. uh, we both know, and for those out there that don 't i'm going to let you in on a little secret. John strong is a uh, a foodie okay to say the least okay uh if you ever want a recommendation and, and pretty much at this point anywhere in the world, considering the travel that uh that he has um, that yeah, has if been you want a restaurant consistent. in
1: Nizhny Novgorod, he's in Russia. He's got one for exactly. you. So. Exactly. Yeah. Go to
0: John Strong. He has it uh, probably in an Excel sheet somewhere. But even up in his brain, he's able to, uh, in an amazing way, access uh, these types of things. I guess. Okay. So my first question is, um, tell the folks about your your best travel trip ever for soccer. If you had to just say this Ooh. was the best, the best one ever,
1: or or even you know what, do you know what's even no. better? Or if you, unless you have yeah, one. Yeah, no, no. But you oh, have one? Well, best travel trip ever. Yeah, I, I would or, say as an experience. I, I okay. think, And I've learned this through through John Strong in, in many ways. And the way that he looks at his food mm-hmm. uh, is that it, it everything's experiential. So he could have, let, let's call it, a, a, and I've got a good example of this. So I, I'm going to say the Russian World Cup. Okay. And if you followed me on Instagram throughout that, Our schedule was bonkers. So Alexei was stationed in uh, in St. in Moscow and worked from the studio. Hotel set, hotel set, hotel set, dinner, drinks, all that all that good stuff. Uh, I was bouncing, <laughs> meanwhile, through throughout every Russian airport, connecting through St. Petersburg, through Moscow to get to Nizhny Novgorod, to get to Sochi, to get to uh, all these different cities, and taking a Russian red eye, which uh, leaves at 4 a.m. in the morning and lands at 7. So we would do a game, 9 p.m. kickoff, which is typically the late window here in, in the U.S., we would go to a restaurant, sit for two, three hours, eat, uh, have some wine, have some you know, Russian vodka. We'd go to the airport at 1 a.m., we'd check in, we'd get on the plane at 3 or 4, land at 7, go to the hotel, sleep for four hours, wake up, go to the gym, eat, and do another game. And that was my life for for a month. And I was just so in the zone. I loved it. It, We were doing great games. Adrenaline is pumping. By the end of it, I was ready to just fall over. Couldn't, uh, my voice survived. But throughout that, we had food experiences and we found some wonderful Georgian restaurants that John Strong would just order everything and we would all just eat and we would take in the experience. And I learned throughout that, that for John, it's not as much about the food as it is about everything as a whole, so much so that he said his top two meal from Russia World Cup was us after a game in St. Petersburg, rushing to get to the train station to get back to, to Moscow. And we stopped and we found this little shawarma place on the side of the street. And we walk in, we grab the shawarma, the guy's peeling it off, the, the meat, he's peeling everything, we're throwing it in. We grab Gus Hiddings beers, which we bought from a fridge, at, you know, on a street vendor as well. We hopped on the plane, we watched England against... Uh, Colombia. I think the penalty shootout we're watching on the back of one guy's phone. There's six or seven of us now watching around, crowding around, shawarma in one hand, Gus's beer with his face on it in the other. And we get to Moscow, and John Strong was like, "That might be a top two meal in my life." And I looked at him and I was like, "You're you're crazy. You're nuts." And it all just hit for me. Like the guy just lives for those types of experiences mm-hmm. and pulls them all together. So much so that i told him he needs a blog. Like right. he has to document all of this. He has the MLS food blog of any city that you travel to. He will off the top of your head, his head tell you, here's where you go for lunch. Here's where you go for breakfast. Here's where you go for dinner and here's why. Like, it, I mean, the guy is... Uh, He's got a lot of stuff logged up there. He's, uh, he's and, a he he beats to a different drum as well. Yeah. <laughs> and he uh
0: and he's not afraid to try anything, regardless of where it is. Oh right? yes,
1: yeah, yeah. There you go. So this is the uh, oh my gosh, how did I forget this one? So we we were in fifteen different airports and so much, you know. Five o'clock in the morning. We're in, and I'm going to get the airport wrong here. Um, Volkorod, I think. Volkorod in in Russia. Don't look at me. It's irrelevant. Yeah, and we get upstairs to you know a priority pass lounge that one of us had a pass to, and we got each other in, and we walk around this buffet, and this is in Russia, Alexei. This is not your your pancakes, your waffles. This is not your French toast. This is. Uh, uh, very interesting stuff. And I, I did a loop and I said, I'm just going to settle for coffee here. I, I can't do it. I, I just, I don't have the stomach for it. John Strong comes back, plate full of one of everything. I mean, slop, uh, pastries, puffs, this and that, gravy, you name it. I I, I, I couldn't tell you what was on that It might plate. have been out there
0: for a while, right? <laughs> it
1: have been out there for many hours. <laughs> this is five o'clock in the morning. right? John sits down, fork, spoon, Eats the whole thing, looks at me, you know, pant maybe needed unbuttoned a little bit, settles in, starts working on the next game. We travel, we get to, uh, now I, I do remember this was, um, uh, we were doing the Mexico Brazil game before this one, and we were taking a passenger van. I have a very vivid memory because John, it was the, the four seats facing each other, so two and two, and John's facing away from the way that you're driving, so he's kind of going backwards, and I see him just, oh, you know, he's he's getting a little dizzy and uh, squeamish. And I was like, are you right there, buddy? And he's like, I don't know, man. Whatever was in that buffet is not sitting right with me. I don't feel so good. I said, you think? Like, did you see what was in that buffet? There's a reason nobody else touched that except for you. Like, what are you doing right now? And, you know, he had to walk it off. He had to get into his hotel room and do whatever he needed to do. And he came back down. He was ready for game time. So that that guy has a cast iron stomach, yep. like I've I've never seen. And and he, you know what? If he was in the same spot again and you told me probably get sick, he's like, I gotta do the try. Same it. Thing, I just right? gotta do it. He's well, a unique individual.
0: Well, he is a unique individual, and uh, I, I appreciate you sharing with us, yeah, uh, no, Stu. Because I got plenty it, of John stories. No, but it's it's great because <laughs> I, I think it it's actually good, and we can we can finish up here because I think it it uh, it shows you know the. Uh, The personal side and the friendship and, as you said, the experiences that don't necessarily have anything to do with the kicking of the ball and that 90 minutes that we are ultimately uh, paid for, which are the most important part of it, but there's so much else that goes on. And it yeah. also highlights how you know,
1: incredibly Yeah, well, Can I humanize yeah. you just quickly? Yeah. I mean, uh, Alexi Wallace let's here. See if you can if do We're going to have to pay him mm-hmm. a compliment. Uh, this is one of the best teammates you will find in sports oh. television for a, uh, and I mean that, my, my friend. Uh, we're going to have, I'm not, I don't know how often I get to sit in this okay. seat. So uh, <laughs> as a guy who was a young broadcaster six, seven years ago, uh, the way that you always go out of your uh, way to help people prepare or get whatever information and the way that you prepare, uh, has set an example for me of of a guy that has been. You're a grumpy old man, but you've uh, somehow uh, managed to remain relevant in this business for a, for a very long time. That's so very, very kind. You were so uh, you are, can you're stay a guy a I want to be on the <laughs> on the road with the way that you eat and drink. and well, we have a good uh, time. Spirit, we have a good friend.
0: time, and and you know, like you said about John, I think those are the things that you ultimately remember. And I know that the scores and the games and all that kind of stuff. But you know, all of this stuff that we do, but it, it highlights how incredibly fortunate and lucky and and privileged we are to be able to do this. And, and I don't know about you, but they can pry it from my cold, dead, oh, redheaded hands. Do whatever <laughs> it takes. Exactly, because it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful life, and it's a, you know, it's a, it's a great responsibility uh, that we have. And you're going to always have detractors and people that criticize you for this, uh, this or that. Um, but we're coaches always, that won't be happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. But we're, we've, we've, we've been through plenty of that, and um, you know, these are all first world problems when it comes to it. Like I said, we are incredibly fortunate and hopefully we can do this for a long time uh, to come and hopefully uh, you, can, uh, you and I can continue to do this for a long time to come because right back at you, it's a pleasure working for you and I, I see a lot you of work people. for me? Well, this, I'm just great. working with, yeah. you, with you. Working with you. <laughs> uh, but I see a lot of young, younger uh, Ex players that are that want to get into it, and I think you can attest to this. Um, when they get a peek behind the curtain and they see what it what it entails, uh, sometimes it's a very very different <laughs> thing than they than they envisioned in their mind. And to see someone like you who does work so hard and provides so much benefit to everything that uh, that we do, and and. Um, we have and make us better. We, we have do. fun. We have fun. So I uh, hope you had fun. hope everybody had fun listening and watching uh, out there. Thank you again for uh, for stepping in here. Uh, my best to uh, all of you out there, including David Mossy, who will be back on the show uh, next week with all of his all of his wisdom and his wit. And we will have a reaction to the third uh, game of this window when it comes to the U.S. men's national team. Knocking on wood that it goes it well in, uh, in Columbus for Greg Berhalter and company against Costa Rica. We'll talk again uh, in, uh, next week. Have a wonderful week. Hope everybody is continuing to stay safe and sane out there. And until next week, and as always, size the day.